the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents the Kingdom Driven Family Podcast with your host, Andrea Schwartz. This podcast will equip and empower you to help advance Christ's kingdom through God's primary institution, the family, building a home that serves Christ and His kingdom. Hi, this is Andrea Schwartz with the Calcedon Foundation, and I'm testing up something new today with a cohort, the other side of the country, Nancy Wilk, who I'll bring on shortly. The purpose of this live broadcast is to get some common questions or you might say foundational points laid and see if this ends up being useful to people so that um, we're in a position to do it on a more regular basis. Let me tell you a little bit about me. I'm a homeschooling veteran. I homeschooled all three of my children through high school and now spend most of my time teaching and mentoring homeschool women or those who themselves have graduated all their children. And the point being is that we help others stay the course. Now, my guest today, Nancy Wilk, is one of those veterans like myself who has finished her homeschooling journey with her own children, but continues to help other people. To give you a little background on her, and I'm going to read this so I get it right, she and her husband have started a ministry called Church in Maine, and it's a family business ministry, and their emphasis is to have um, a family business, but also opportunities within the community to bring people together and proclaim Jesus Christ and his law as applicable through all areas. So I am gonna bring Nancy on right now. Did I do that correctly? Let's see, Um, here we go. All right, so hi, Nancy. Um, Yeah, so uh, if you wanna say a couple of things, uh, feel free to do so before we actually get to some questions. Okay, well, first of all, I really do wanna thank you for letting me on here. Um, and asking me to participate at Church in Maine, we do um, believe that our God assigned role is to return to the family the responsibility that's ours. And one of those things being the education of our children. So um, home education is something that is very important, um, not just as, as a family and community, but we believe that it is something that God has um, called for us to do. Okay. Now, one of I, I like to say that there are sort of four stages of homeschooling. There is the, I think I should homeschool. Some, God has convicted me. Somebody has convicted me, and I'm scared to death. That's the first person. Then there is the person who actually jumps in day one and is still scared to death because there's all the doubts that says, am I good enough? Am I in a position that I'm gonna mess up my children and all the things that go in. But then once people get started, especially if they have some folks like you and me, the older women that scripture talks about, to kind of hold their hand and make sure they understand. They taught their children how to walk. They taught their children how to talk. They taught their children how to eat without looking like little animals. And they taught them how to control themselves so that they could not need diapers anymore. So parents have already done a lot of education. So getting started, you just kind of have to jump right in. Then they're the people who have done it for a while and they're getting the hang of it. Their kids are getting older 
And as that happens, um, they feel more secure, but especially if they have a big family, they're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm gonna be in this for a very long time. And so there's some burnout that can happen. And again, you and I as seasoned homeschool vets know that there are some things that can be done that will make it so that people aren't you know, gonna run away from home. Although there is the temptation at times, I think I'm gonna run away from home, but most people don't. <laughs> And then of course, there's the stage that you and I are in, and that's where we've graduated our students. We don't have anyone we're homeschooling anymore. And I don't know about you, Nancy, but I miss it terribly. Do you? Yes, yes, I do. I miss it and I also think so many times, what did I forget to tell? What did we forget? And so, you know, that's some of the things that, that we have opportunity now um, to reiterate, to help the um, education of our grandchildren and to help those young women stay the course and remember what is that primary task. We say at Church of May that the primary task of parenting is to train up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so while they may have gaps, some of them academic, some of them um, in any number of um Places there's going to be gaps, but we don't want that to be in terms of their love for the Lord, the knowledge of his word and the character development that they need to really fulfill the call that God has on their life. Now, I tell people all the time, I doubt there are too many people who on their deathbed say, if we only had spent more time with the quadratic equation or <laughs> we just didn't diagram enough sentences or. I, can, I can't name all the Tudor and Stuart kings in world history. If anybody says that, I've never heard that they did. But they do say things like, I wish I had focused more on character or on integrity or spent more time where I could find out where my children were coming from. And so for anybody who's new to homeschooling who happens to be watching this now, let me start off by telling you, you will mess up. You will. I still mess up, right? We know that there's still sanctification that has to happen because we're still here. At the point at which I'm fully sanctified, everybody will be talking about what a nice person Andrea Schwartz was, but I won't be here anymore. So if you're trying your best and you have the right tools and you yourself are grounded, then God takes care of a lot of the mistakes. Um, people turn out okay. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't like to hear it, but there are plenty of public school students who turned out to be born again people and love the Lord and serve his kingdom. So we're not talking formula here. We're just talking about a better case scenario in ways in which your children can be educated for service to the kingdom of God. Exactly. Okay. So let's go with your first question before we take any of the um questions that may appear on Facebook. Sure. Um, Andrea, my first question for you is for those people who may not be familiar with the Calcedon Foundation, can you tell us a little bit about that and why in terms of homeschooling would the Calcedon Foundation be a source of expertise, if you will? Okay. Let me start off by saying I'm affiliated with the Calcedon Foundation. Obviously, we're doing this on the Calcedon Facebook page. But Calcedon is an educational ministry 
And its goal is to help self-governing Christians to be more equipped. So if you feel that your desire is to understand more about what God calls you to do, then you need some instruction. We all do. Unfortunately, modern Christianity doesn't emphasize the rules that God gives us. It, it emphasizes how we feel, how you know we can feel better about ourselves, have self-esteem. Well, quite frankly, none of us need more self-esteem. What we need is to be more faithful to God's word and to be obedient. So anybody who goes to calcedon.edu, one of the first things they'll notice is that most, if not all, our materials are available at no charge. Now, why would we do something crazy like that? Well, for those of us who benefited from Dr. Rush Dooney's ministry while he was alive, he didn't charge anybody to come and talk with him or to sit and listen to his sermons, or maybe you had to pay to go to a conference where he was a speaker, but it was always minimal. So we believe freely we've been given, freely we should give. However, all ministries need dollars and cents in order to continue. And so Calcedon's model has been, as people have been helped by whatever interaction they've had with us, that they consider it important to further a ministry that not only equips them, but will help equip all those people they would like to reach. So Calcedon's focus is equipping individuals, equipping families, and we think one of the major areas where Christians can reclaim the culture and regain ground that's been lost is by removing their children from ungodly educational systems and homeschool them or put them into good Christian schools that will teach a biblical world in life view and not get caught up with being politically correct. Does that help? Does that answer your question? It does. Now you mentioned, um, Dr. Rush Dooney. Maybe somebody doesn't even know who Dr. Rush Dooney is. Can you tell us um, how he has influenced, if he has influenced the homeschool community? Well, I think it's a fair um, statement to say there would be no modern homeschool movement, at least not thriving as it has, without his work. Uh, Dr. Rush Dooney wrote a book um, it's available still, it's in print, called The Messianic Character of American Education. Now, that's a very provocative title, <clears throat> excuse me, because it actually says modern statist education is messianic. So, well, uh, excuse me, okay, by, modern, by modern statism, you mean the public schools? Right. The okay. public school system, the compulsory education model. So, it's messianic. It's intending to convert its pupils, its you know inmates, to use a snarky way of saying it, to a certain mindset. And that mindset is that the state ultimately is God walking on earth. That's why you don't have the opportunity to study the Bible in public schools, that people aren't allowed to pray or acknowledge Jesus Christ, because Christianity is a competing religion. So Dr. Rush Dooney identified that and people who read his work said, hmm, maybe just maybe we need to rethink what God calls us to with our children. And that really started the modern Christian school movement. And then after that, the modern Christian homeschooling movement. You said that um, the public school um, 
is a religion. Tell me about that religion because I, the, the uh, prevailing thought is that education is neutral and so they're just going to learn math. So tell me how the public school is religious. Well, everything is religious. All right, you can't get an area of life where there isn't a religious perspective. Now, too many people think religion means Christianity or going to church, and that's how Christianity has been sidelined. Religion is what you're ultimately concerned about. Find where somebody puts their time, their energy, and their resources, and you pretty much know what their religious beliefs are. For some people, it's football. For other people, it's baseball. For some people, it's Facebook and social media. In other words, what occupies their attention? Well, for the faithful believer, the crown rights of Jesus Christ, the dominion mandate, and then the great commission is what we should be focused on. And since we know that's not allowed currently in the public schools and increasingly not allowed in the public courts, we need to recognize that even though many Christians don't get it, the state gets it. Christianity is a subversive religion. Why? Because it says everything is subject to the rule and authority of Jesus Christ, not what we say. And so the first century church and the church in 2018, we're fighting the same issue. Is it the city of God or the city of man? Well, at Chalcedon, we say the city of God. Right. So is there religion? Um, what would you call the religion that they espouse? It's called humanism. Humanism. Making, okay. th think of think of Genesis 3, 5 and the sin of Adam and Eve. The sin of Adam and Eve wasn't eating a piece of fruit. That was the action. That was a manifestation of their sin. But their sin was to be the determiners of what was right, what was wrong, what was true, and what was not true. And that's humanism. That says, oh, no, God, we know better than you. And we'll give lip service to you. I mean, we'll still say we believe in you, but we certainly don't look at you as sovereign, authoritative, and that we're not allowed even to go into an area to think about anything if we're not thinking about it in terms of you meaning God. Okay. Okay. So um, you mentioned uh, biblical law. Well, um, actually, before I go to my next question, do, are there others online that you need to, um, or other folks popping in yet? Are okay. we good? To continue? Uh, yeah, I have to see. We're, we're using a new piece of software. So look, somebody says, we need more of this. Parents are so clueless today. Well, our goal at Calcedon is to help them be less clueless. And you can help because you can share this with other people. And um, as you're learning and benefiting, it's amazing. When people are excited about something, they bring other people along. Uh, Rose says, so glad for the truth. Well, thank you, Rose. The truth is God's truth. And if we can be conveyors of it, um, then to that degree, we're being faithful. I don't see any other comments, so um, we'll go on from there. Okay, so let me recap for folks like me that are maybe a little bit slow. Um, so I hear from you that humanism is the religion of the public school and that for Christians, that is we know that that is contrary to God's law. Education is 
Uh, everything's religious, including education. So we have to think in terms of especially education, especially education, especially education. Well, maybe that's something that you need to explain. What does education mean biblically as opposed to just getting on the school bus and going to school? Right. Well, if you go back to Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary, his definition of education is becoming useful. Now, everybody knows that we can have high school graduates, college graduates, bachelor's degree, master's degree, and maybe they make a good latte, but maybe they don't, right? Because a lot of times they have all this education, but they're not particularly useful. To be useful, doesn't mean you have a bunch of letters after your name. To be useful means that you are ready and prepared to use your gifts and talents according to God's call on your life to the glory of God. So you can do that if you drive a taxi cab. If you're an Uber driver, you can be an Uber driver to the glory of God. If you fix people's plumbing, people used to say, oh yeah, plumber. Well, the plumbers I know, when people have problems, they really want their plumber because their house is flooded. So a godly plumber, a person who is doing his work or her work to the glory of God is fulfilling the mandate to be fruitful and multiply. So in a biblical sense, we don't have to be professors. We don't have to be doctors or lawyers to be educated people. My emphasis, of course, is that parents need to be biblically educated so that as they prepare their children to discover what their calling is, that they're going to be in a better position to guide them. Not everybody's meant to do everything, but the role of the parent is to manage the education and then be prepared, as I've experienced with my own children, that they exceed you, they excel. My kids can do things I can't do. That doesn't make me feel bad. My husband always says, pat yourself on the back for their achievements. Well, I feel a little awkward patting myself on the back for their achievements. He doesn't. He likes to say that. But the point I'm making is I prepared them to be useful. And sometimes when people challenge me and say, so what are your kids doing now? Are they so great? I go, well, none of them are on welfare. None of them are in jail. And they all make an honest living that nobody is, is, is basically, um, you know, living off the state. So minimally, that's an achievement. Yeah, that's that's a good one. Yes, thank you. Okay, so you mentioned uh, biblical law. So a lot of people would say that that law, biblical law, is an Old Testament thing. And what does that have to do with now? Well, the people who would say it's an Old Testament thing have been taught that God acts differently at different points in history. That's not true. Jesus said that wasn't true. He said that nothing has changed. He hasn't erased any part of the law. And the scripture says God said he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right. So, so there is no stuff that doesn't count anymore. All right. What there is are laws of God, laws of the sovereign, and he tells us how we should live. Now, the benefit of living the way God says is he designed us, he created us, so maybe he just knows. Just like when you have the user's manual in your automobile, they're technically telling you how to use your automobile. Well, no, I don't need to read that. Well, then there's a lot of things you won't know that your vehicle can do, or there may be some things you do that when you do them, messes up your vehicle. 
The other advantage is we have a God who's so loving and kind that he tells us what pleases him. He also tells us what displeases him. Therefore, we can be confident that if we take God's law, and that's the two great commandments, the Ten Commandments, the case laws that relate to the Ten Commandments, the book of Proverbs, which talks about how the law is applied in everyday life. And then, of course, what we get in the New Testament in terms of the chronicles of Jesus's lives and then what Paul and the other gospel writers of the epistles rather tell us. So we have this full orbed view that doesn't conflict with each other. The 66 books are individual books, but it's one word from God. And so that's what Christians need to do. And that's what makes it so that the gates of hell won't prevail. If you give a wishy-washy, we hope you feel better, and Christianity is just what's between your ears, then you have an impotent church in a culture that basically says, why do we need to do that? Right. They look just like us. You're right. You're right, Andrea. I think that's really important. A lot of people have the um, mistaken idea that Christianity is just about my happy heart or what happens to me after I die. And um, the truth is that because Jesus is Lord of all, his word frames and informs everything that we do. And that's what it means to be a Christian. It means that that as redeemed people, we want to know God's law. We want to walk in his ways. And he has turned our heart from enmity to him, enmity to him, to um, regeneration and um, fellowship with him through Christ, not because of the law, but through Christ, we want to um, and, and can walk in his ways. Right. We have a message here from New Zealand. How cool is that? So glad for people like you for pointing out that no educational system can be consistently neutral. Yes, let's be bold and call the public schools out for what they're doing. And at the same time, endeavor to educate our children in the law of God and to worship and glorify him. Thank you for your work. Well, thank you for your work in New Zealand, because Mm -hmm. the way I look at it, the reason the statist institutions don't want the Bible is because when the Bible is applied to people's lives, they change. They get a different orientation. And the last thing they want is a worldwide movement, which I believe that is going on right now. And certainly Calcedon tries to encourage and perpetuate that it's a viral sort of thing. Infect all the people you know with an understanding of scripture that says God wants everything from us. He wants us to give us his all and that there's victory with that. See, the message that people don't cut consistently here is that by obeying God, there's blessing and that blessing brings victory. Okay. All right. Well, I don't see any um, questions coming up. I I have a bunch of woohoos one from Florida. That's nice. Um, Any other questions you have? Because I figured we'd do this for about 30 minutes unless we had a lot of questions. Okay. Yeah, I do have a couple more uh, questions here. And that is some more about um, biblical law. I, my husband and I have been supporters of Chalcedon for uh, some time now. And um, that's how we met. Pardon me? 
That's how we met, you and I met. That's right, that is how we met. So we have read a lot of Dr. Rush Dooney's work and we understand um, that probably the big, you know, his, his big work is called Institutes for Biblical Law and it's a big three volume set. I understand at Calcedon that's one of the things that you do is um, teach biblical law through the um, Teacher Training Institute. Can you tell me about that? Because, you know, um, and, and not only I want you to tell me about that, but I want you to tell me, too, if that's something that mom should be doing and why. Because it was a big book and it seems very daunting, very academic and maybe for um, theology professors. Tell me about it and if it's for moms. Well, it's most definitely for moms, but not just moms. It's it's definitely for daughters. It's definitely for wives who have yet to become moms. It's mm -hmm. for grandmas. It's it's for aunts. It's for friends. It's for everybody needs to understand how God wants us to live. And you're right. That book is a big fat book. And I joke with women. You know, it's better to actually read the book than use it as a doorstop or to hit bad guys if they come into your house. Both of it works. That book works that way for both. For Interestingly enough, most of the women, not all, but most of the women who come into my institute's class have husbands who have already read the institutes and wish their wives would, but their wives are just too busy. They say, I can't do it, it's too daunting. Like you said, it's too big a book. And so I encourage women to just get started. You know what, read the introduction. I supply some questions for them to think about. And if it takes them a day to do it, great. If it takes them a week to do it, fine. If it takes them a month to get through the introduction, do it. It will expand your understanding of what you're supposed to be doing. And it gives some real credible um, uh, justifications for why we should. Because once you understand biblical law and then you look out on society or maybe initially your family, then you can say, oh, there is a way to bring about the change that God has put in my heart. When I first encountered Calcedon back in 1985 and started reading the books and had interaction with the folks at Calcedon, I was pretty convinced I might well be the worst mother based on what I was supposed to be doing. Only to discover if I was, it didn't matter because I didn't have to stay that way. I could actually bring about a change by learning what God wanted me to do. So if anybody's interested in examining ctti.org calcedon teacher training institute.com you can get it either way and um, we can put it in the chat later that um you'll get an idea of what the course is like and it does at this point um any of my existing classes there is no charge for it however because calcedon allows me to do it and gives me the framework in which to do it um, pretty soon, not yet, it will be reserved to people who are ongoing supporters of Calcedon. Uh, trust me, to be a Calcedon underwriter at the $300 level a year, I do classes with people once a week. I mean, if you put that out, 
going to McDonald's costs a whole lot more than what calcium is currently giving people. So we're interested in expanding our reach, but also equipping people so they don't feel as though they're not getting the proper return from their tithes and offerings, which is what we help people do. So Kelsey okay. is, I'm sorry, there is a couple of, there are a couple of people who are asking those questions. So let's see, let me go down so I can read it. Okay. What do you think about people who say, isn't God sovereign as far as sending their kids to public schools and the education they get from that? Oh, absolutely. God is so sovereign that if they come away with a world and life view that includes disobeying God, they will reap the curses that God says. So yeah, it's a question of when you send your children to these schools, are they learning history from a biblical perspective? Are they learning science from a biblical perspective? Are they learning literature? What literature they're being exposed to? When they write, can they write and express themselves in gratitude to Jesus Christ? So yeah, God is sovereign, but what it means is parents, you're gonna be held into account because Deuteronomy says, you should be instructing your children from the time they wake up to the time they go to sleep. Well, if for that eight hours, you're sending them someplace else that will only allow the name of Jesus Christ to be used if they're cursing, because apparently that's not a problem in public schools. But if they're going to grant him the status of King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So yeah, totally. God is sovereign. It just depends on <laughs> what part of God's economy you want to be part of, his blessing or his curses. Right. Gia asks, is there a 30-second elevator pitch for homeschooling that gets past stereotypes because, and I can't see the rest of that question, which means that we're going to have to work that out in the um, beginning. As far as the 30-second elevator pitch, um, is there a good 30-second elevator pitch for anything? In other words, if someone doesn't have the desire to obey God, so maybe the first question is, do you have the desire to obey the creator of the universe? Uh, I never thought about it much. Well, if you had a three hour pitch, that probably wouldn't do anything for that person. But if someone is interested, then the true apologetic, the true reason for the hope that's within you is to tell people your testimony. This is where I was. This is where I am now. This is how I approach things then. This is how I approach things now. And let the Holy Spirit encourage that person to ask more questions and ask for advice. Um, I've learned, Nancy, you can probably corroborate this. Giving advice to people who don't want it is a very fruitless activity. It is a waste of breath, isn't it? Yes. And you say too much, you talk too much, and then you look like some sort of fanatic. Um, <laughs> I actually get the most traction out of answering the question like Joshua asked is, yeah, oh, absolutely, sovereign God. But I'm not going to let him on the, I'm not going to let him off the hook because God's law doesn't let him off the hook. Okay. Well, I, so next question, it says, Joshua says, how important and involved should churches be in equipping and helping parents to homeschool or move away from public schools? Yeah. That's like asking how important is it to feed, clothe, and shelter people? If you don't think those things are important, then what is it you're doing, for example, as a parent? If the church isn't instructing people how to obey God's word, do it more effectively, and help people when they struggle, 
then I'm not sure what the purpose of the, the church is, right? It's not a building. It's not programs. Uh, some of the worst manifestations of compromised Christianity is youth groups because yes. you have a hard time differentiating them from anything else that you see with a group of teens hanging together. Uh, I'd love to go into most youth groups and say, could anybody here recite the Ten Commandments? My guess is too few could. Okay, there looks like there's another question here. How do we graciously counter the mindset of public school parents who say, I could never homeschool. How do we lay out possible alternate options to public school families? Well, first of all, every church that's worth its salt, and I'm gonna get in trouble for saying this, but I'm gonna say it anyway, that's worth its salt should have a school attached to it so that all parents can have their children get a Christian education. And then Christians have to use their tithes, their social financing tithes, for things like health, education, and welfare. It's a crime from my perspective that Christian teachers have to work in public schools in order to get a good wage. First of all, their good wage comes from tax dollars, which are extorted funds, quite frankly, from people's property taxes. Why don't we have Christian teachers making a good wage? Why should our children's golf instructors or piano instructors be making more than a Christian teacher at a Christian school. So establish a good school that's not just gonna be a public school with, in Jesus' name, amen, but you're gonna teach the same humanistic counsels or the humanistic curriculum, right? And start basically saying, no more, we won't, we won't put our children, we won't sacrifice our children anymore on the altar of, well, we might have some opposition if people do it. or let's say we'll go with what Gia's question was. I'm not competent. I could never do it. Okay. Thank you for the confession. Now become competent. Right. I mean, you want me to agree with you and say, Oh, you're just so incompetent. Oh yeah. Well, is that the nurture and admonition of the Lord? We That's why are... I, I should say this though. Nancy is in Virginia and as a veteran homeschool mom, she has opportunities for current homeschooling families to come together to have co-op classes where the children can get, whether it's an academic subject or even just an extracurricular activity. And then she spends time with the moms when the kids are learning how to do art or they're learning how to knit or crochet, all valuable things, especially if you have or cooking classes or whatever you do, to be available to help the moms through this. And so I have never met anybody who really wants to go ahead and homeschool, who working together with their own family where interested church members can't do it. Because if you do what God wants you to do, it's foolish to say he won't equip you to do it. Every right. single state in this country has um, homeschool access. And for us, homeschool was the cheapest uh, or the least expensive Christian school that we could afford. So in terms of equipping, whether it's the parent that needs to be equipped in order to equip the child, what you can do is, first of all, if you don't, if you can't afford a Christian school, you can sign up for a teacher training institute and you can begin immediately educating yourself and your children. Um, you do need to check out the, um, 
specifics of your state, but you do, you don't have to wait for a church to do it. The church should be doing it, but we are the church. So you may not find a brick and mortar building and a pastor and teachers in that place yet, but they are there. I was listening to a sermon that Dr. Rush Dooney gave in, I think it was like the early 80s. And he was talking about it then. You understand, this is before Facebook Live. This is before Skype. This is before everybody was on the internet. He said, I believe that we are on the cusp of a technology revolution that will greatly change our ability to share the gospel, the law of God, and how we're supposed to live. Well, right now, think about it. We've got a comment from Florida. We got a comment from New Zealand. I'm in California. Nancy, you're in Virginia. And I know other people because I'm familiar with the names that I see coming up. Michigan, Kansas, Missouri, these kinds of things. So in terms of having your children educated, do you know how much stuff there is on YouTube? Do you know how many people want to teach your children statistics or want to teach your children algebra? Um, there are so many decentralized ways to do it. There's so, I mean, last night I went to that Fathom event, the riot and the dance. Wonderful, wonderful biblical exposition of creation. And I mean, the people who were there, we were looking at each other saying, how could anybody think this was just one big accident? Right. So there's so much stuff out there that. The, I guess the biggest hurdle is convincing people you don't need the public school. And if your church isn't willing to stand up for you and with you, if you get challenged, I, I think the biggest problem is people feel so alone in these situations. They don't feel like they have an old army of people ready when they're attacked or questioned by the school board. Then now you've got to deal with the whole church. You don't just have to deal with this one family. Right. Um, Joshua asks the question, what do you say to people who say the kids have no socialization skills while homeschooling? Mm -hmm. I say that's a great benefit. I mean, socialization, you mean become socialist? That's what will happen if they go to public schools. They will learn when the bell rings to get up. When the bell rings again, they better be in their class. So they respond to bells. They also know that if you did your homework and you have the answer and you raise your hand too much, the peers will tell you to put your hand down. Stop being the teacher's pet. So yes, they will get socialized if they go to public school. I, for one, don't want that kind of socialization. And I was glad that my children didn't have it. So, um, and then of course you ask people, what do you mean by socialization? Do you mean young people who won't look you in the eye when you talk to them? Will you, you know, talk about people who will always be looking at their smartphone? Are there you're talking about people who can't put together a coherent sentence and say something other than, you know, uh, dude or whatever it is? No, people can usually tell homeschool students right off the bat. And I've been places where I've been miles away from home. We encounter people and there are two homeschool families who say, I bet you you're homeschooling. They go, yeah, I bet you you're homeschooling. Because the kids will look at you when you talk to them and you can actually have intelligent conversations. So, yeah, I think it's good that we don't socialize our kids that way. All right. Okay, Nancy, you and I said that we go to about 45 minutes. Have we covered all your questions? Well, um, 
what I want to know, one last question is, if somebody does want to study with you, um, you said that they could do the Teacher Training Institute. So, um, so they can do that. That's free online at Calcedon? It is. Currently, well, what they have to go to is ctti.org or somebody put in the chat, calcedonteachertraininginstitute.com. Okay. My desire in order to be able to keep doing this and justify the time that I spent doing it, either with individuals, which is how I conduct a lot of my classes one-on-one, -on -one, or group classes. I currently have three group classes going on, and we're all, well, one class, we're in the appendices of the book, and we started in November of 2014. So these group of ladies have hung in there with me. On Tuesdays, I have another group, and we are well into the Ninth Commandment. And then my Wednesday group, we're in the Eighth Commandment. It's hard for me at this point to add a lot of groups, but I will entertain that idea if I have enough people who are interested in it. But my desire is that since I benefit from the Calcine materials that allow me to teach this course, and I've got my training through that as well, that people donate to Calcedon. And that's really the way in which that I would like them to participate in the class. Um, the earliest or the smallest underwriter level at Calcedon is the bronze underwriter. And that's $300 a, a year total. And you get benefits and you get discounts not to toot my own horn, because I'm really tooting Dr. Rushduni's horn in terms of institutes and obviously exposing an expose of God's word. Um, it's well worth it. People spend a whole lot more on something a whole lot less profitable. So, so I know there's other books, too. There's there's um, besides the institute. You actually are an author yourself and have yes. um, some some books that um women may be interested in what is your um what is your favorite book or most impactful book for um that you would recommend to moms well since we're talking homeschooling here i actually have written eight books two of them specifically are on homeschooling one is called lessons learned from years of homeschooling i wrote that while i was still homeschooling and i was 25 plus years into homeschooling um, Sam Blumenfeld, if you're familiar with him, encouraged me to write a book. And I told him he was crazy that I'm not I'm a book reader. I'm not a book writer, but I listened and with some other people who encouraged me as well. And then the second one is the homeschool life. Now, both of them don't buy them if you want at nine o'clock on Monday morning. This is what you need to do. And then at 10 o'clock, this is what you need to do. These books are a perspective on how to carry out a homeschool, the things that you're likely to encounter. And quite frankly, people, the things you encounter as a parent is the things you encounter as a homeschool teacher. They're the same thing. Because right. education is what you're supposed to be involved with as a parent. So you're including in that education in a homeschool setting the academic parts as well. So um, those are the two I'd recommend. If you go to the Calcedon store at calcedonstore.com and put in my name, there are other books, but at this point I'd highly recommend for especially people who are haven't read those books and are homeschooling or contemplating it, that they um, think in terms of just getting more grounded. And you can always reach me at andrea at calcedon.edu. Okay. Well, Andrea, 
I have enjoyed being on here with you and fielding these questions with you. Now, um, I'm sure with all the people that have been on here, we've just scratched the surface of the questions that people may have and just getting a kind of an introduction introduction um, to Chalcedon and a biblical worldview of um, home education. Can we do this again? Oh, yeah. Matter of fact, I mean, this was a pilot run. Um, we could do it again at this time. We can see the feedback because from my understanding of things, it's possible then this will be available on the Facebook page that people can watch. Um, yes, and people can send in their questions. If you have a question, send it to me at andrea at calcedon.edu and then put in the subject a question for the live broadcast um, and then we'll handle it there. And if you also have a private question that you don't want to have broadcast, that's fine as well. But thank you, Nancy. I felt much more confident doing this if I had someone to talk to as opposed to just talking to myself. So thank you. You did a great job. I just stay, sit here and smile and nod my head. That's okay. the way to Thank you. All right. Well, God bless everybody. And thanks for your participation. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you for joining Andrea Schwartz and the Kingdom Driven Family Podcast, holding up the family and self-government as a true and lasting means of transforming society. Please visit thekingdomdrivenfamily.com and reconstructionistradio.com.